0: Many of you know my wife and I uh, have five children. Um, The oldest is 21, Spencer, our daughter. The second oldest is 19, Sloan, our son. 17 years ago when Sloan was two years old, we were at my parents' house and Sloan found a marble and he put it in his mouth and it got stuck in his windpipe. And by the time we noticed, he was beginning to lose his strength. I can still, you know, these, these kind of moments, are, they sear into your memory, right? I can still, I mean, so easy. I can feel the carpet under my feet. I can see us sitting there on the floor, holding him, having tried everything we could and he's growing lethargic and he's beginning to lose consciousness and uh, we thought he was going to die and then suddenly the marble just pops out of his mouth and it lands on the floor and I mean it, it's a, uh, the feeling in that moment is, I mean it, it's just Unbelievable our our passage this morning is psalm 32 when i read psalm 32 i remember that i think of that psalm 32 is about life and death it's about things that get stuck in us it's about things that if they don't get unstuck we're doomed marbles in a young child's windpipe are deadly And Psalm 32 wants us to feel that deeply about our sin. Psalm 32 is a passage of scripture that should provoke in all of us the closest brush with death we've ever had and to believe with all of our guts that sin does that to us. Look what it says in Psalm 32. Notice verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength dried up as by the heat of summer. I, I read these verses and I can still see little Sloan slumped over. In Janelle's arms, she's holding him. She's weeping. She's crying out to God. He, the foam is foam is coming out of his mouth. His eyes are glazing over. And we've got to know that sin kills us as surely as marbles do. It's that serious. I read these verses and I I remember a good friend of mine coming to visit me in a hotel in South Texas. He turned out the lights and he sat down on the bed and he confessed to me the affair he had been having. And his life was a wreck. In our psalm, David is describing what happens when you keep silent about sin. What happens in Psalm 32, there's a kind of disintegration. His bones, he says, are disintegrating into powder. His energy is dissipating. One translation of verse three puts it like this. The very pith of my body decomposed as if baked in summer heat. When I was 17 years old, my family and I were visiting New Orleans where I, had, where I was born. We were visiting friends. And I had been living a very self-centered life for the last couple of years. Instead of following God's path, I had developed these secret habits that I was hiding from my family and my church. And I woke up in the middle of the night in New Orleans very sick. And as I was hunched over the toilet throwing up, I, I heard God very clearly, not audibly, but I knew it was God's voice telling me to confess my sin and to return, to return to him. And when I finally did confess my sin, I stopped being sick. Look at verse one, Psalm 32, verse one. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. If you write in your Bible, that word covered is a key word in the whole Psalm. We'll come back to it in a minute. You can underline it. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Look, there are devastating effects of sin. They are physical, emotional, relational, psychological, and spiritual. But there is also real joy, real happiness in forgiveness. We talked about this several weeks ago. The word blessed can be translated happy. Happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven. As a young child, um, my my family, we lived in the country. We moved from New Orleans to rural Louisiana. I hated shoes. Um, Any chance I got, I would take my shoes off. My parents would, you know, tie me down and force them on me, that kind of torture that parents do to kids, making them wear their clothes in public and such. And, um, but as soon as we got home from anywhere, I'd take my shoes off and I'd run through the country barefooted. By the way, I don't know if you know, but I grew up very close to where Donna Trainum grew up. This is God's country. Sometimes he forgets about it, but north central Louisiana at one point was held deep in his heart. So anyway, I would... I would run around barefoot, now, now there was great glory in running around barefooted as a child in Louisiana, but there was also a great number of splinters involved in my feet. And um, the only worse thing than splinters was my mother's um, secret collection of torture devices, tweezers and pins and needles. She'd roll them out, you know, like the torturer in um, Prince's Bride. And, um, and so I, there was this one time I was about four years old and I got a for real splinter, but I knew that um, I could just ignore it, <laughs> you know, in my foot. And I did, and I kept ignoring it and I kept hiding it from mom. And my foot started getting like a fever <laughs> and it was red. And pretty, one day I looked and there was this red line going up my leg from this. So I finally broke down. And um, confessed my splinter to my mother, in which case she commenced with the torture, right? Digging around in there. And she got the splinter out. My splinter was like David's sin in this psalm, right? It wasn't my biggest problem. My biggest problem was my silence. All I had to do was tell mom. All I had to do was was tell mom and the splinter would get handled. All David, the author of the psalm, had to do was to tell God. Look at verse 5. When he finally does, look what he says. I acknowledged my sin to you, talking to the Lord. And I did not, and here's the word again, cover. So if you write in your Bible, it's the second time it's used. I did not cover my iniquity. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. I said, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So what about you? When it comes to sin, are you like little Aubrey? Or or, are you like this little kid scared of the solution, convinced that the solution is worse than the problem? Look back at the final line of verse 2. Blessed is the man in whose spirit there is no deceit. What's the deceit in this chap in this psalm? The deceit is you're lying to yourself. The deceit is that this sin is not deadly. The deceit is that, oh, to bring this up, the embarrassment, the the pain of owning up to it, the the pain of bringing this to the Lord or to others is going to be worse. That's the deceit. Now, notice verse 5 again. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity. Feeling bad is not confession. Secret remorse is not confession. Doing something good to make up for what you did wrong is not confession. Confession is to break the silence. To honestly and humbly confess our sin to God, believing that God is ready and willing to forgive. Look at verse one. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Verse five, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. It's this beautiful wordplay. Those who do not cover up their sin will be the happy ones whose sins are covered by God's grace. When we stop covering up our sins, God will cover them over in grace. He will cover them over in mercy. Instead of hiding from God, God will become our hiding place. When it comes to David, who we saw in verse two, was wasting away, groaning under the weight of affliction. The real problem is his silence. Silence about your sin is rejection of God's grace. Silence is the rejection of grace. You can cover over your sin with your pride, with your shame, with your fear, with your embarrassment, or God can cover over your sin with grace and with love and with mercy and with kindness and with atonement. Refusing to own up to our sins, to confess them to God. It only hurts us. The point in confessing our sinfulness is not to wallow in our guilt and shame. The point is to open ourselves up so that guilt and shame can be drawn out and drawn away. So, I have a very personal question for you. Please don't answer out loud, it'll embarrass somebody. (laughs) Do you have a secret? Do you have an addictive behavior? Is there an abusive or traumatic experience in your life that is feeding shamefulness? Do you have a fear of reje- do you have a fear of rejection? Do you have a lust for power? Do you have an uncontrollable temper? Have you been emotionally unfaithful? to a spouse or physically unfaithful? Is there inside of you a vicious prejudice, an insatiable jealousy? Are you wrapped up in repeated acts of self-indulgence? Whatever they are, with our secrets we end up in hiding them, hiding ourselves from others. Ultimately, we hide ourselves from God. And in our hiding, we're choosing darkness over light. We're embracing death instead of life. We elect to be lonely rather than authentically and with integrity connected to those around us we become cut off from the source of life we become strangers to ourselves alienated from creation Martin Luther said we end up curving in on ourselves we end up this disfigured person if we are to be free We have to break the silence. Our secrets must be told. If we wish to flourish in our God-given calling in this world, our secrets must be brought into the light. If we desire to be truly human and fully ourselves, we have to abandon the efforts we're putting in to hide our secrets. And to justify them. And to pretend that it's not that big a deal. And this is what the Psalms will help you do. Look, if this terrifies you, if the, if the thought of telling the secrets terrifies you, it's okay. You don't have to tell them right now. Please don't tell them right now. <laughs> you don't have to tell them tomorrow. Tomorrow just start praying the Psalms of confession and you'll build up that muscle. And God is so kind and he's so patient and he will, like the best counselor, therapist in the world, lead you gracious step by gracious step until you can. So if you're terrified of the big secret, forget about it for a minute and spend some time with the Psalms of confession and trust that God is going to be patient with you and he'll get you there. But at least get on the little training wheel. Get on the bike. Look at at verse six. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Look, if the only prayer you can offer God right now when it comes to secrets is you could pray David's prayer, start with his prayer. Start with just copying him. Just fake it. Just practice his prayer of confession. If that's that's the only way you can get near to God right now, if that's the only way that you can find God right now, start there and it's okay. And then notice what David does after he does that, after he offers the prayer, he gives these three shouts of joyful celebration in the great love of God's forgiveness. Look what he says next. You are a hiding place for me. Isn't that another beautiful wordplay? Like I pointed out earlier, instead of hiding from God, he he relates to God in a way that he hides in God. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. So his silence and his groaning all day long are replaced with this pervasive sense of God's all-encompassing love. This person who was withering and withdrawn in verses three through four is now jumping for joy and inviting others to come in and join the celebration with him. Look at verse eight. I will instruct you, God speaking here, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Out of curiosity, when you see that, when you see God's eye upon you, what do you see in his eye? Do you see kindness and love? Or do you see anger, frustration? See, this is really what it boils down to. I, I'm in therapy, and I'm learning that with a really good therapist, it's like they, they, they have these skills to create this safe place where you know that whatever you bring out, the response isn't going to be this smack. And what, they're, what my therapist is doing with, is he's creating this place where I can bring out the secrets in my heart. And in being in the presence of someone who has compassion for me, it heals me. And that's what God will do with you. When, when his eye is on you, it's not the eye of Sauron. It's the eye of the one who loves you so much that even though you're covered in all your sin, he would still die for you. He would die for your sin-covered self. That's how much he loves you. Will you be open and unafraid with this God who died on the cross for you? Will you trust in his goodness? Isn't that what I needed ultimately as this little boy? Didn't I need to trust that my mom was going to help me and not end me? The way we counter the corrosive, devastating effects of sin is we stop Hiding our sin from God. Because when we hide our sin from God, we become alienated from him. We spend our strength trying to hide stuff. Trying to transcend God's boundaries. When we hide stuff, we end up hiding ourselves from others. When we hide, it brings pain and suffering. But the Psalms of Confession, they offer this powerful aid to teach you, to coax you out of hiding, to stand honestly before God without fear, to face others without vulnerability over shame, and to encounter life in this world without the secrets that are demeaning and distorting and disfiguring you. The Psalms of Confession are for those who know that standing in the presence of God is the safe place it's the one place where these secrets cannot and must not be hidden to pray the psalms of confessions is to pray ourselves into wholeness look at verse 10 many are the sorrows of the wicked but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the lord that's what it boils down to will you trust the lord Look back at the previous psalm, Psalm 31, verse 23. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. So do you see if you would be wise and confess and repent instead of many sorrows, you will be surrounded by unfailing love. God's love will not fail you. If you confess your sin to him. Does God have my best interest at heart? He claims to love me, to have my interest at heart, but does he? When I was a little boy with the splinter, did my mom love me? Did she have my best interest at heart? You see, it takes a little bit of faith to believe that God exists. You can even obey God without a lot of faith. Deep faith enters in at the powerful moments in our life when we have to decide, will we believe God is good? Faith means stepping onto the path that looks like it's going to take us in the wrong direction. But because I trust God's assurance that he loves me, I trust that his path will lead me to life. Look at verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The righteous here are not righteous because they don't sin. The righteous here are the ones that are righteous because they confess openly their sin to God and he covers them in righteousness. Gladness and joy are not the result of of your sinlessness. They're not the result of your accomplishment, of your achievement. Happiness, notice the first line. Happy is, it doesn't say happy is the one who never sins. Happy is the one who apparently sins because it's the one whose sins are forgiven. We cannot talk genuinely about grace if we don't talk honestly about sin. So Psalm 32 offers two paths. One path is happiness. The other path is disintegration. It's devastation. And the difference between the two paths is will you trust that God is good? We began our sermon series looking at Psalm 1 and 2 a couple of weeks ago, and we saw that they are the gateway into the deeper life of prayer. And we saw that in these two Psalms, the beginning and the key to a deepening life of prayer is trusting the goodness of God, trusting that God's word, even when you disagree with it, is good and right. And trusting that God's son Is good and right. The pathway into the deepening life of prayer is centering your life around God's good word and God's good son. And if you do that, you can get the marble out. If you do that, you can be saved, you can be healed, you can be delivered. You can have instead of your own crappy covering of your sin that's not working you can let God cover over your sin with his powerful love and grace remember our old testament reading proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy Will you trust that? Will I trust that? Force yourself to look at the things you're holding secret and hold yourself to that question. Look at your secrets and look at Proverbs 28 verse 13 and force yourself to to come face to face with this. If I can confess this and forsake this, I can obtain mercy. Mercy. The path to righteousness and spiritual health, real health, is a deep, conscious ownership of the sin that we bring to God. And the good news for the follower of Jesus is that the decision to be honest to God, it will not result in self-absorption or self-hatred. The decision to be a follower of Jesus and to be honest to Jesus is a decision to follow the one who has paid the price so that sin is not the the last word about us. You see, our problem when we're hiding our sin is that we're convinced it's the biggest thing. But in the crucifixion and the resurrection, sin is not the last word. It's not the most powerful thing. It's not the biggest thing. God's grace is. Grace is the last word. See, I think when we're afraid to confess our sins to others and to God, we're afraid that our confession of the sin and the shame and embarrassment we feel in that moment, we're afraid that will be the last word, but it's not. That's the penultimate. That's the next to the the last thing will be the grace and the mercy. When we practice the prayers of confession, the Psalms of confession, we're learning how to stop taking sin more seriously than grace. Because God in Christ does not take sin more seriously than grace, He takes sin with deadly seriousness. But grace is even more. We can be honest to God about the worst parts of our lives because we know that the grace of God precedes our honest confession and the grace of God undergirds our honest sorrow and the grace of God follows our honest laments and grace is bigger. We've got to take grace more seriously then sin and hiding sin and refusing to confess it is a way of refusing to do that. When we practice praying the Psalms of confession, we are learning to pray under the light of God's grace. We, We learn to become free to pray with abandonment because we've abandoned ourselves to this gracious God. Here's the good news. If you can't confess your secrets, don't worry about it. Confess David's secrets. Just copy his prayers for a while. And you'll build up this muscle and you'll discover that one day you're developing the capacity to bring your sins to God. And one day he'll get around to that big stuff that terrifies you now. And when he gets you around to that big stuff that's terrifying you now, it won't be nearly as painful as you're imagining. He'll lead you there with patience. God is even better than the best mother. God is not going to try to change every single thing about you all at once. What parent would do that to their kids? You would crush your kid trying to get everything right. God's even better at that. He's even more patient than that. Entrust yourself to him. So this week, I want to encourage you to set aside a special time, a special place, and a psalm. Now I'm going to give you seven psalms, seven psalms that are psalms of confession, because this week, it just so happens there's going to be seven days. And so um, seven psalms, you can pick one per day, set aside a special time in a special place. You might want to have a candle or an icon so that you just take a deep breath and remember you're in the presence of this God who loves you. He is the light of the world. Take a deep breath, believe that you're in his presence, and then read one of these Psalms. Here's seven of them. Psalm 6, 32, the one we're doing right now. 38, 51, 102, 130, 143. I'll name them again. Psalm 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, 143. Read them out loud. And then every now and then just stop and turn what you read into a prayer. Teenagers, you need to do this. Children, you can do this. This is not difficult. It just takes a tiny bit of setting aside some time. We have no need to hide from God. It was dumb of me to hide from my mom. It was a little boy who just didn't get it. And some of us right now, we're just little kids who just don't get it. My mom didn't have anger at me, she didn't have harmful intent. She had love for me, and that's God has love for you in learning to pray this way, in learning to bring into our conversation with our Lord Jesus Christ the darkest places in our lives, we will find ourselves being transformed by the light and the love of God. Let's pray.